The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Today is in Revelation 21. If you have a phone app or your Bibles, I invite you to open that up. Uh, we're going to do the first seven verses, and the reading will be on the screen as well if you want to follow along. Revelation 21, starting with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. All right, y'all, I ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who already knows every moment of 2020, not just for this church, but in each of our lives. Lord, you know every valley, you know every victory, you know every celebration we're going to have and every tear we're going to shed. Uh, but Lord, as we continue to look where you are calling us as a church in 2020, Lord, I pray that you give us your words, your boldness, your strength as we go forward. Lord God, uh, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So, as Tanner had mentioned, we are in a series called 2020 Vision. We've been talking about where we're going as a church. What are the foundational truths we're going to stand on as we go forward? We started off by saying, first and foremost, we are going to be a Christ-centered church. That Jesus is the life source that allows us to do any type of good, any type of love that we want to do in the world. And we talked about how it would almost be like if we went without Jesus, we would take the life that he gave us and we would be like a rose stem cut off from the bush. It would look real pretty for a little bit, but because it's no longer connected to the bush that's alive, eventually that rose would wither and die. But as long as we stay connected to the true vine, the true source, the source of love and grace and peace and patience, then we can pour that love forward into all the different relationships that we have. The following week, we talked about how we're going to be a family-focused church and about how family is God's primary way of teaching how we're supposed to be followers of who this Jesus guy is. Last week, we talked about being an equipping and ascending congregation, and about how it's not about me as pastor or as a staff or leadership being the most important people, but how God created the body of Christ to literally be the hands and the feet and together we work to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so as a church, we want to equip you, wherever God has sent you, whether it's your school or your workplace or your cul-de-sac, to be agents of love and reconciliation. And then today, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be a community-renewed church. How everywhere we go, we want to make better, just like everywhere Jesus went, things got better. And for me, this core conviction came from a conversation I had with a friend who's actually here today, who once asked me a question that kind of scared me. He said, Josh, how many churches today, if they disappeared, 
would their local community not even notice? Right? Like, certainly the people who went to that church, right, the members of the church, they would realize, oh, I used to go here, but it's not here any longer. But the local community, right, the schools or their immediate neighbors, if the church disappeared, would nothing change? And that haunted me. Because so many churches that I've been a part of, if I was going to be honest with, the impact they had for their community, the love they had for their community, if they disappeared, nothing would miss a beat. And that changed the course of where my ministry was going to go and what kind of church I wanted to be a part of. And in fact, the only reason why I took the interview to be the pastor down here in Axe Leander was I knew you had already answered that question. Because of acts of love, there is at least one community that would know if we disappeared tomorrow, someone would notice. Because we as a church, you guys, before I even got here, said, hey, we want to be advocates for those in this community. We want to help the vulnerable. And so you started a free daycare for any mom in high school so that they could graduate, so that they could help their family take that next step, whatever that looks like. And so when I was looking at the call, that was first and foremost to me. Would Jesus have done that? Absolutely. And that gave me the heart and the passion to say, I want to hang out with those people. I want to be with them. I want to be going in the trenches with them. I want to see where God is going to take us. And we don't want to peak in 2015, 2016 when we started Acts of Love and say, well, we did something really cool back then and now we're done. No, we want to continue to find ways to partner with our community. We as a church have said we have two big goals that we measure everything against. One, that our people reflect Christ so that everyone who comes into this door, whether they're three years old or 83 years old, they get connected deeper to who God is and who God made them to be. So one is an internal goal that we measure everything against. But the second goal is that our community partners flourish. And so when acts of love succeeds, we succeed. When Baghdad succeeds, we succeed. And so we have an internal measure and we have an external measure of what God is doing in and through this church. That's what it looks like to be a community-renewing congregation, that everywhere we go, every partner we have, we want to have that same relationship with. It was actually cool. Rick and I went to talk to the principal at Baghdad. We were pitching a summer program for him. And we sat down, and the principal, before we started, sits us down, smiles, and says, you know what? I always love it when Axe shows up, because you guys always have something cool. To have that relationship is what we want to have with every community partner and to see those deepen. We believe we have a present God who has present action for us as his people. And the reason why I started off with that Revelations verse is because sometimes we misunderstand what our God is up to. Right? So this is from Revelation 21. Drew read it earlier, but the highlights of it is, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he will, himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There is so much hope in this verse, right? And all of us have had times where we're ready for the old order to pass away. Whether it's a trip to the doctor and the news that we got, whether it's burying a loved one, 
whether it's a break in a friendship or a relationship with our family, there is a lot of crying and mourning and pain. And so we as a church can look and be like, God, that's what we need right here, right now. Or we think, you know what, I'm just going to focus on when that happens. And so we look towards a future God. And for sure, this is comfort for the church. But what you have to realize what this was originally written to was the early church in Greek that were literally being persecuted, that were being put to the stake, that had lost, watched their loved ones put to the gladiator arenas. And John was writing to them and saying, guys, there is hope. This is not the end of the story. Hold on to the God who will once again make all things new. And this is a good thing. But there is a danger when we focus purely on those verses. You see, we don't have a past God. We don't have a future God. We have a God who specializes in the present. And if we focus purely and solely on what God is going to do in the future... We miss the beauty and the opportunity of what he has in store for January 26th, 2020, 11.42. Because we have a God of the present. When the uh, early Jewish people went to Jesus and they said, well, are you the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? His response was, I am. Period. Not I will be. Not I have been, but I am right now, right here, working for you, my people, and my family. I like the way how N.T. Wright puts it. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven. All right? So it's not the Titanic is sinking, and God's like, we got to get as many people off the Titanic as possible, so get the lifeboats out there, as many as you can, throw them in, get them off, because that boat is done. No, he's not trying to snatch us away from here, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. The life of heaven, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those fruits of the Spirit that make life worth living. He says, I want to see heaven be brought here. He says, and that is, after all, what the Lord's prayer is all about. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to just take a really quick snapshot of the Lord's Prayer, of what Jesus himself told his people to pray for. And what you're going to see real quickly is Jesus is not particularly concerned about some way off distant future, but he is concerned with the present now, what God is currently doing, and the promises that he offers in that. This comes from Matthew chapter 6. This then, and this is Jesus speaking, says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Now, I'm stopping here because for me, this is something I missed for the first 20 years of knowing the Lord's Prayer. So I grew up in the church. I knew the prayer. We said it every week. I could do it in my sleep. But when I prayed the Lord's Prayer, when I was actually paying attention, I read it like my Father in heaven. It was my individual prayer to God. But what we see in this is that it's not just about me. And it's not just about you. God says, no, this is a plural, corporate, first person. Us together are calling out to our Father. And so I'm included in this prayer, but so are you. 
And so is everyone God is trying to reach into. And so from the onset, Jesus says it's not just about you and it's not just about everybody else. But it's about tying everyone together into one family for one purpose of what God is going to do. And so the Lord Prayer starts off with this, our Father. A relationship between us and God and one family together. And then he goes on. He says, hallowed be your name. Sacred be your name. Now here's the deal. God doesn't need us to make him holy. That's not what he's getting at, right? God is sacred and holy and pure all by himself. But what he's getting at is that sometimes we forget he's the sacred one. He's the God. And we start putting in other gods. See, a God is anything that you find your trust and your security in. And so if that God were to disappear, your security and trust is hit. It's called an idol. And oh my gosh, do all of us have idols, and I'm the first one in line for this, right? So my bank account drops below a certain point, and all of a sudden I know it's an idol because I start to get concerned. Or something goes wrong with my house, and I, my security and my foundation isn't okay. Or something goes wrong with my family or a relationship that I have with someone. I take these good gifts from God, and they are gifts. We're meant to enjoy them. But I turn them into a place where I find my security, and all of a sudden, that's the sacred thing in my life, the sacred cow that I can't give up. And God says, no, 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 no. There is only one who is sacred. There is only one God. And building your foundation on that one God is where you will find ultimate trust and security. And God isn't even being petty here. It's not like it's me or bust. Don't you realize that? What he realizes is that all those other gods aren't going to be able to protect us or keep us safe. He goes, but if you build your foundation on me, when the storms of life come, and the storms of life are going to come, there are only three categories. You're either going into the storm, you are in the middle of the storm, or you're coming out of the storm. And it's a cycle. Life goes on and on and on like that. And God says, if you are building that foundation on anything else other than me, when the storm comes, your house is going to get knocked over. And all of us have experienced that. When that God of ours is taken away, whatever it is, and we're just despondent. And then we go back to lifestyles that lead us to despair or that lead us separated from people or from God or from our community. And God is like, no, when you put me first, when you're building your foundation on me, I'll reconnect you to all those things. Lord's Prayer goes on. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, this is a present prayer request. Not saying, God, one day when you fix everything, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, do something cool. Your kingdom come, your will be done presently on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't a future ask. This is a current moment by moment, God, do something here. And that word kingdom isn't a physical place, right? So when we think of what is a king's kingdom, we'd be like, oh, it's Britain, or it's France, or the kings of Spain, or whatever else, and they had territory. That is not what kingdom means in Greek. Kingdom means the reign of someone. Where does that person have influence and power? And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is, God, we want your influence, your life of heaven, 
your foundation to be here on earth for everybody, just like it is where you're at. There is a tension here, though, because we pray, God, please bring your stuff to this moment. Bring all your goodness, all your love, all your grace. But we still live in a broken world. We live in this tension that, yes, God is doing something, but there is still muck and hurt and tears. And within the Christian speak, we call that the now and the not yet. That God is moving, but it's not to its completion yet. He's not finished yet. And again, quoting another modern theologian, Tim Keller says this. He says, God's kingdom is present in its beginnings, but future in its fullness. So it's starting here, but it will reach its fullness one day. And he says, and this will guard us from under-realized eschatology, expecting there will never be any change this side of heaven, right? So it guards us from thinking, all is hopeless. We might as well be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Right? We are, as Christians, do not believe that. At the same time, though, but then over-realized eschatology, expecting all the change now. We're all going to sit around a campfire singing Kumbaya with flowers in our hair, and every family is going to be perfect, and we're all going to have two kids and a dog and the fat. No, no, no. We are not in the perfect but we're also not in complete despair. And he says, in this stage, we embrace the reality that while we're not yet what we will be, we're also no longer what we used to be. See, God is already doing something. The seed of that life of heaven is planted in the present, and we get to participate in that. Not just ask for it, but to offer that to people God brings into our lives, to community partners God brings into our lives. That's what it looks like to see community renewed, to say, God, we think you're already working here. We think you're working through the schools or through acts of love or through food pantries or down in Costa Rica, and we want to participate in bringing your kingdom, your will, and your move here on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer goes on and says, give us this day our daily bread. Again, the plurality, give us, not just me, not just my family, not just you, not just your family, but all of us together saying, God, give us what we need to make it through the day. And that's not just food, that's all the sustenance we need. Housing, jobs, family, community. And then telling God, and we want to participate in helping get that for other people too. Again, acts of love is the gemstone of what that looks like. Daily bread for those moms is having a place to bring their child so they can go to school, so they can graduate, so that they can one day provide daily bread for their own family. And so we as a church say we want to participate in what God is doing in that moment. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And this is where the, the prayer becomes uniquely Christian, right? Because any religion can say, hey, it's good to provide people food. It's good to see God as sacred. It's good to want God's will to be here on earth. Whether you're Muslim or Jewish, Hindu, like they could all agree to those things. But the uniquely aspect of Christianity is how the forgiveness of sins 
becomes the heartbeat of how we connect to God and how we connect to others. And it's interesting that he connects those two things, right? It's not just about us and God. God, forgive me when I've mucked everything up. But it also then is, God, forgive the people who have hurt me. Help me forgive them. Help me pay that grace forward to the people in my life. We talk about this a lot, but the only thing sin knows how to do is destroy relationships. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys your relationship with every person you've ever had a fracture with. That was sin. Your sin, their sin, just the sin of the world. And it destroys our relationship literally with the physical world. And what we see is that God's remedy to that, to start to bind those relationships back together, happens through the forgiveness of sins. And so we build in the heartbeat, not, okay, one day I'll forgive my parents for this. Not one day, maybe I will forgive this person. No, in the present, in the now, to be able to say, God, I'm coming before you for the forgiveness of sins, and I want to give that. I want to pay that forward. And in that, he starts to bind people back together, and your will on earth as it is in heaven comes to fruition. I'm tired today, and I actually missed this, next, this last part of the Lord's Prayer, the last service, which just means you guys got the better version. That's all. Anyway, Lord's Prayer goes on, and it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the point of this part here is not that God is a Puritan. God is not up there saying, I just am going to put in some arbitrary rules for your life because I, you know, for the sake of it, for the gist of it. That's not what he's doing. You see, whenever we sin, he realizes it's battery acid to anything good he wants to do. It's battery acid to our connection to him, and it's battery acid to our connection to everything else. And so when we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we're literally praying, God, keep that battery acid out of our lives. Keep the things that would keep us from you or keep us in connection with others out. Because we're asking for your kingdom to come in this world, in this moment, today. And then Jesus wraps up the prayer with context. So he says, this is how you should pray. But then he circles back to the forgiveness of sins. And he says this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you did not forgive others their sins... Your father will not forgive your sins. This is a hard verse. And in a way, it almost seems out of context with everything else, right? Like, why is he emphasizing this so hard? Well, the reason is because we hold other people's sin with the same hands that we hold our own sin. And so we make mistakes, all of us. Again, myself at the very front of this list. And left to my own devices, I will hold all of it with my hands like this. So everything I've ever done wrong, every time I have betrayed someone, every time I have not said the right thing, or I've replied with a snarky remark, or I cut someone off when I'm driving down the road, I hold all my sin with these hands. But in the same vein, I hold everybody else's sin against me in these hands. So every time a family member betrayed me. Every time a coworker didn't follow through with something, every time someone hurt me, it's the same pot. 
And sometimes what I would like to do is say, okay, how do I divvy these things up? So find the ones of my brokenness, of my darkness, of my sin, and I'll put those out, and I'll say, okay, God, I need you to forgive these, while at the same time kind of holding another basket, right, with everybody else's. And what we see in Scripture is it doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, doesn't allow us to hold on to other people's hurt and brokenness while offering up our own to him. Jesus says it's all or nothing. And in that all or nothing, in the forgiveness of sins, and he being the first one who says, I'm going to forgive you, not because we worked our way to heaven, but because he loved us and he gave us grace, this, a divine favor. He says, and now I need you to pay that forward. But in that, we don't get to hold on to the grudges and the anger and the resentment from before. He says, no, it's all or nothing. Because when it's all, he goes, see, then my love will throw, f- flow through you reconnect us to God, and he goes, and then you will start to reconnect to everyone else. And when that life reconnects to everyone else, you'll see the community renewed. See, it's full circle. Remember how I talked about the rose? And as long as we are by ourselves, that rose will wither and die. But if we are connected to God, and we are bringing that rose to wherever we go, we graft new people into the bush into the source of light and life and love, and that source of light and life and love spreads. And we see community renewed. We see transformation. We see our community partners flourish, and we see our people reflect Christ. And then that circle is self-perpetuating, and it feeds itself, and more love, and more of let the life of heaven comes into different places. Which is interesting, Because then, if that's really where it starts, then the forefront of what it looks like for a community to be renewed, the best thing that we can do as a church isn't individually pen pals or supporting acts of love or anything. We're going to do all those things. But they're powered by the rhythm of the forgiveness of sins, of saying, God, I need you to restore me. I need you to pour your life into me, and then I want to pay that forward into all the different ways I can forgive and share your grace and your divine favor with all you bring into our lives. That's why we build into our rhythm a time where we say, you know what, we need to ask forgiveness of sins. Because by the time we leave here, probably about the third pothole I hit on the drive out, right, I will once again need forgiveness of sins. I will once again have a little bit of battery acid that I need God to say, hey, I, I want to, let's get rid of this. I want to reconnect all of me to you. And so we don't just do that here on Sundays. You don't have to wait to be forgiven until Sunday morning at 11 o'clock service. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a time where corporately together we can say and forgive us our trespasses and then commit together to saying as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's literally the heartbeat that drives us forward. We are going to go into a time of confession. We're going to go into a time of prayer. And then we're going to meet our God. Where he says, take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood. Shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then it's communion. Literally, union with community. The family of God here. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a good God. You're a God who specializes in uh, fractured relationships. 
Lord, and certainly we live in a world where there are a lot of fractures. Lord, certainly our relationship with you, but then our relationship with everybody else as well. And yet, God, you are a present God who is moving and active here and now and is pouring down your love and your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, we pray that as we encounter you here, we leave with you and share that love and grace with all you bring into our lives. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.